Testing, testing. We can use the pulpit mic if needed. Testing, testing. We Can you hear me now? All right. Thank you. Thanks for your patience on that. Um, let me add my welcome to any guests who are with us today. I'm Mike Stroh. Try to. Okay. All right. Just give me a signal if we need to move to this. Okay. Let's. Fair enough. All right. Testing. All right. Here we go. We'll get it. Well, the live oak tree in our backyard is both a blessing and a curse. I can tell already some of you can relate to what I'm going to say. It provides shade and beauty, but it provides quite a bit more as well. Dumps a trillion leaves that need raking. It covers our property with pollen that turns our cars green. It makes our allergies go haywire. And occasionally we'll find one of these. The sprout of an oak tree. Because what I've mentioned is not all that our live oak tree drops. It also drops countless acorns. Thousands of them. And yet every year, just a few of these sprout up. Why? Is there something wrong with the seed? Well, no. It largely depends where that acorn lands. For one thing, squirrels eat them. So most of them don't even have a chance to make it into the ground. And in our yard, we have uh, turf, we have rock, we have different sections in our backyard, and really only a small portion of our backyard is soil where an acorn could actually take root and grow. See, Jesus touches on the same theme in the parable that we just heard read. God's word, Jesus says, goes out like seed into the soil of human hearts, but it only takes root and soil that is receptive to it. Because the problem isn't the quality of the seed, but where the seed lands, the quality of the soil. Continue our series in Matthew's Gospel. We've seen the religious leaders reject Jesus as their Messiah. We see a shift in Jesus' ministry, where now he intentionally focuses on those who are receptive, those who are open to receiving his message. And he does that in part by teaching in parables. And so we come to the parable of the sower. And as we do this morning, we'll confront the quality of the soil of our own hearts to be sure that the word of God is taking root and continuing to grow in us. But as we turn to God's word, let's pray together. Our Father, as always, we give you great thanks for your work among us. Thank you for your presence here, for the joy of gathering and worship. And as we turn our attention now to this text of Scripture, as we continue in worship, we ask that you would open our eyes, you would open our ears to the truth that is before us. For the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. So if you have your Bible in front of you or a reading device, look at Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to start in verse 1. You can find this text also on our bulletin page. On our website, but verse number one of Matthew 13, look there. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down 
and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables. Stop there for just a second. So we see here a shift in Jesus' ministry where he starts to teach in parables. Chapter 13 here is the third of five sections of teaching in Matthew's gospel. And if you just sort of scan down the page in chapter 13, you'll see one parable after another, rapid fire, uh, most of them describing the kingdom in some way and how God will one day bring complete justice. Our focus this morning is just on the first one, this parable of the sower. So let's look there in verse number three. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear." So this is called the parable of the sower. We could also call it the parable of the soil. Because notice in each case, the seed is the same. But it lands in a different place that determines if it grows and if it bears fruit. Now we'll come back to this in more detail as Jesus will explain the meaning uh, a bit later in our passage. But notice these closing words of this section. He who has ears, let him hear. Or your translation might say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is a formula Jesus uses to draw special attention to something that he has just said. It's an invitation not just to understand, but to chew on it, to explore it, the implications of it for our life. So, in other words, pay close attention, Jesus is saying. What he's saying is we can have ears and yet not hear. You ever been talking to someone who's maybe listening to you, but they're not hearing you? Like when you're having a conversation with someone and they're doing this. What you're saying might be going in one ear, but as we say, it's going out the other, right? You might as well be talking to a brick wall. And this is true spiritually as well. There is a level of spiritual understanding that depends not only on the mind, but on the Spirit of God to enable us to hear, to understand. And yet, if we had no part in this, there would be no point to Jesus' invitation. So Jesus is saying to this crowd, particularly to those who were his disciples, those who have ears to hear, thanks to the Spirit of God, he says, listen up, pay attention. And this invitation extends to us here this morning. There is spiritual truth here for us to chew on. There is implication here in this parable for our lives today. Look at verse 10, though. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, 
and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So later, after Jesus tells this parable, the crowd went away, and Jesus evidently is just with his disciples, and we see the shift here in strategy. They do, the disciples do, and they ask him, Jesus, why are you teaching in parables? The word parable comes from two Greek words that together means to throw alongside. Parable is sort of like a sermon illustration that we might use today. It takes an everyday truth and it throws it alongside a spiritual truth to make a connection, to help us understand, to help us apply. Parables make up about a third of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels. Jesus was a master of teaching in this form. But he didn't only use parables because they were a useful teaching tool. Verse 11, he says to my disciples, It has been given to them, to the disciples, to know the secrets of the kingdom. But watch this. While those who have rejected me, he says, it has not been given. Jesus tells us here that he teaches in parables to reinforce this distinction, which might surprise us, not to change it. Now, don't mistake what he's saying here as a lack of grace and mercy. What he's saying, though, is that there comes a point when those who have rejected Christ reach the end of the light they're given. So parables, now if you rewind a little bit here in our study of Matthew, we've seen the religious leaders sort of officially reject Christ. Remember when they said, hey, you're doing the work that you're doing through the power of Satan. Okay, that's them saying, done. And then we see this shift in Jesus' strategy. So parables were used to reveal truth to disciples, but at the same time hide truth from the unrepentant. So in that sense, there's an aspect of judgment even in the use of parables. And thirdly, Jesus says he uses them to fulfill prophecy. Matthew quotes Isaiah 6 here where the prophet writes of Israel's failure to receive his message. It's now ultimately fulfilled in their rejection of Messiah. But Jesus says his disciples are let in on the secrets of the kingdom. Secret here is a Greek word for mystery. This is the only time this word appears in all four Gospels. But this is a really important word in the New Testament, especially for Paul. And he uses it to mean those spiritual truths that weren't previously revealed, but now are revealed in Christ. It's human nature to want to be on the inside track, to know the whole story. Look again in verse 17. He says, Many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Jesus says, As my disciples, you're led in on divine secrets, the mysteries of the meaning of life, the kingdom of Christ are revealed to you through the Spirit. So we who know Christ have it even better than those prophets those righteous people who followed God, who longed to see Messiah revealed in their time. And we have the the privilege of looking back on his revealing, living in this kingdom here and now. So here with his disciples, Jesus now unlocks the truth of this parable that he's just told the crowd. Look at verse 18. Look at that word again, hear. Pay attention, Jesus is saying, listen up. 
Chew on the spiritual truth I'm telling you. Look at verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Jesus doesn't tell us who the sower is, but a later parable in the same chapter, he says it's the Son of Man in verse 37. Could also apply this to anyone sowing the seed of the word of God who is sharing the gospel, the good news of Christ. But notice in every case, the seed is sown, the message is heard. It's heard. But as we've said, the focus here is on where the seed lands. But see, here in this first case, it doesn't even make it in the ground before it's snatched up by the evil one. Matthew says the evil one. Mark's version of the parable says Satan. Luke says the devil. So we're clear on who he's talking about here. The soil, in this case, are the religious leaders who we just mentioned who have rejected Christ. But it's the same as anyone in our day who has hardened their heart toward the things of God. Do you know anyone like that in your life? Maybe you share a little bit of truth with them, a little bit of the gospel, and it just like bounces off. In one ear and out the other. Never taking root. It's not a matter of intelligence. It's a matter of the heart. There's spiritual deafness. There's spiritual blindness happening. Maybe you're here and you identify with this soil. You've not put your trust in Christ. And so far, you've rejected him in your heart. Maybe nobody knows that but you. Your heart has been hard and unresponsive to the light you've been given. But this invitation is for you. You can ask God to change your heart, to open your eyes, to give you ears to hear, to put your faith in Christ, and he will change your heart. He will give you a new heart. Look at verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So the second kind of soil are those people who initially, in Jesus' ministry, remember, they followed him, they were enthusiastic, they were excited, excited to see something amazing. But as soon as Jesus turned out to be a different kind of Messiah than the one they were looking for, what happened? Well, they jumped ship. Like the crowd who would shout Hosanna on Palm Sunday and yet just a few days later shouting crucify. This is them. And like the acorns that fall on the rocks in my backyard, this seed just sits on the surface. It might initially appear to spring up, but this type of person doesn't internalize their faith. They don't really understand it in the spiritual sense. When any adversity, when any challenge, when any suffering comes their way, they're Off to try something else. Maybe you identify with this soil. Is your belief in Christ just surface level? Are you in the faith just for what you can get out of it? Or maybe because your parents make you come to church. Think about it. What happens when suffering comes? What happens when you get out on your own? Will you immediately fall away like so many do? There's nothing wrong with the seed that's been sown in your heart, but you don't have root. Jesus says to you, listen up, pay attention, ask God to make your faith real, to open your eyes, to make your faith rooted. 
to make it genuine. Verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So this third group, this third soil, where the seed falls among thorns, these people hear the word, they take it in to some degree, but the word is choked by the cares or the worries of the world. When we focus primarily on the things of the world, our focus, of course, cannot also be on the kingdom of Christ. Remember, Jesus tells us to what? To seek first the kingdom and all that other stuff will be taken care of. But this person with this heart has it backwards, caring more about the temporary than the eternal. And notice the phrase, deceitfulness of riches. They fall for the lie that money will solve their problems. doesn't matter how much they have. They could be materially poor. They could be materially wealthy. But they could still fall for the deceitfulness of riches. The lie that money will bring them true security or happiness. This we see lived out in the rich young man who later in Matthew will walk away from Christ. Why? Because he has many possessions. Nothing wrong with possessions, nothing wrong with wealth until it distracts us. Until it takes our focus away from Christ, until we see our hearts not bearing the fruit that God would have for us. But look at verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil... This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So this last one is the good soil. So notice this person not only hears, but notice the word they understand it. And again, that's a spiritual sense. We're not talking about an intellectual grasp of the Bible. We're talking about spiritual understanding. The truth of the gospel takes root. And then bears fruit in our lives. Jesus is speaking here to his disciples and to us this morning who know him and who follow him. So that's Jesus' explanation. That's the truth of this parable. But we can't stop there. Remember, Jesus told us to pay attention, to absorb it, to chew on it. So even if we've heard this parable a hundred times, a thousand times, there's spiritual truth here for you. So don't hear Jesus' explanation and say, okay, got it. I'll file that truth away. And the application also here isn't to say, okay, phew, phew, I'm a believer, so I'm good. I got the good soil. I'm in the clear. Nor is it to be prideful to start labeling all the people in your life that you think fit these other categories. No, no, no. The one who has ears, let him hear. This parable isn't just about who's in and who's out. It's about all of us. That we're all responsible for the condition of the soil of our hearts. Even as believers, we have a part to play in responding to the Spirit's work to cultivate healthy soil in our hearts. So consider from this text how the Spirit might be leading you to hear and understand this truth in a deeper way. If the soil in this parable is your heart, what is the condition of your heart? Are you seeing fruit in your life? But maybe the better question for us this morning is, what are you doing to cultivate a right heart before God? Remember, the seed isn't the question. The seed is secure. The seed is stable. 
The question is how healthy and receptive the soil is. The Word of God is powerful, it's active, it's being sown in your life in all kinds of ways, like right now in this very moment, as we look at God's Word together. It's being sown in your heart throughout the week as you might read scripture or go to a Bible study. But just because the seed is being sown doesn't mean it's sinking into good soil. And that's true throughout the Christian life. Because our hearts can deceive us. We can become consumers of seed, but not be growing. We can be consumers of Bible knowledge, consumers of religious experiences. I'll take that Bible study, but not that one. I'll take this experience, but not that one. That worship experience, but not that one. We come to church at times for what we can get, or when it's most convenient to us, rather than to give ourselves to God in worship and to give ourselves to our community. Not just consumers, we can become critics. It's another C word for you. There's been some alliteration in the pulpit lately. I thought I'd continue that trend this week. So we can become critics. We can criticize our leaders for our lack of growth. We can criticize the church. We can criticize our brothers and sisters in Christ because we're not growing and we're unwilling to look at the condition of our own hearts. One more C for you, complacent. When the seed falls, maybe God is trying to get our attention about something in our life, and frankly, we just don't care. That is a dangerous place to be spiritually, that kind of hard-heartedness. So whether we become consumers or critics or whether we become complacent, those are just a few ways that our hearts can deceive us and grow hard unhealthy soil, unreceptive to the Spirit's work. But let's think about for a moment what it means to cultivate good soil, to nurture right hearts before God, because the truth is our hearts are always being nurtured by something. We're always being shaped by what we're putting into the soil of our hearts. Think for just a minute about the hours in your week. Some of us are getting sprinkles of good seed here and there, maybe on a Sunday morning, maybe if we read our Bibles for a few minutes in the day, here and there. But then we soak. We soak for the rest of the week in something else, the noise of the world that goes against the work that God is trying to do in our hearts. The things we spend our time doing, all of it shapes us. All of it does something to the soil over time. Think of your time on social media, watching cable news, mindless entertainment. None of those things are harmful in and of themselves. None of those things are bad in moderation. But if that's what we're soaking in, that's what we're watering the soil of our hearts with hour after hour after hour. When we're exposed to the seed of God's word, do we really think it's going to take deep root? Remember, the oak has to be put in the right conditions for it to turn into an oak. There's nothing wrong with the seed. Sometimes we just check the box. I went to church today. I read my Bible. All crucial things in the spiritual life, but sometimes that's just the seed. That's just God giving you the seed of his word. Are you cultivating it? Are you cultivating your heart? Are you spending time watering that seed, putting that seed in the right conditions for growth. Remember, this happens 
and time spent with God. It happens in Christian community. We need to hold all of these things together in priority to nurture the soil of our hearts. But remember, spiritual growth is not done in our own strength. It's a work of grace by the Spirit. Remember, God is the one who sows the seed, God grows the seed, God brings the fruit. But part of our response, part of our responsibility as believers is to attend to the soil. Spending time in spiritual disciplines like prayer, like fasting and solitude, spending time with other believers around God's word is a way that we put ourselves in the path of the Spirit's work in us. It's a way that we cultivate the soil to stay receptive to what God is doing in our hearts, the seed that he is sowing. So this week, take some time to consider how you can maybe refocus on nurturing a right heart before God. Think of some practical steps you can take before God and in community to maybe recommit to that this summer, to share that with your connection group or a friend. Well, we're blessed to have a neighbor right across the street from us who's a master gardener. Our community names Yard of the Month. He's gotten it more than once. He's got a beautiful arrangement of plants and flowers and landscaping. Seems to always be improving with something he's adding, new landscape or flower bed. But the thing about having a yard like that, and we're grateful that we get to look out our window and see that beauty, but it doesn't happen by accident, does it? didn't happen by our neighbor going out and just sprinkling some seed and saying, I'll come check it again in a few weeks and see what happens. When we look out our window, nine times out of ten, he's in his yard. He's watering. He's cultivating. He's on his hands and knees in the dirt. He's weeding. He's fertilizing. He's caring for the soil. Now, he knows full well he has no power in and of himself to make anything grow. But he does everything in his power to put that seed in the right conditions for growth. To cooperate with the process that God established in creation. And it's the same thing in the Christian life. God saves us by grace. We grow spiritually by his grace through Christ's provision in us. But Jesus reminds us in this parable, we have this constant invitation to attend to our hearts to cooperate with the process that God established when he rose Jesus from the dead. So the word of God can take deeper root, so we can bear more fruit for his kingdom. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the blessing of knowing you through Christ. We thank you for opening our eyes and ears and hearts to the gospel, the mystery revealed in Christ. And so may we not be satisfied to stay where we are. Give us spiritual insight into the condition of our hearts, the ways that we might hinder your work at times. Help us as a church family to encourage one another, to spur one another on in this task of cooperating with the work of your spirit in us. We ask all this for the glory of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.